Hello, we're glad you could join us for this installment of Clone Wars, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and tonight we're here to talk about Season 2, Episode 7 of BBC America's Orphan Black that aired on May 31st, 2014, episode titled Knowledge of Causes and Secret Motions of Things. And remember, you can access this show and all the Orphan Black shows through both the Lost Girl podcast, Fatalist, and Liberate, a Continuum podcast. So as long as you subscribe to either podcast, you'll automatically receive our Orphan Black discussions in your feed. Or if you prefer, you can go to www.continuumpodcast.com or fatalists.podbean.com to listen. And you can also subscribe through Stitcher. You know, Mike, a, a lot of times the titles, you know, while they're certainly relevant to that night's episode, it's it's really a push to to really pull <laughs> something out. But but just the the part of tonight's secret motion of things which is so much of what we saw tonight in that, you know, so much is revealed through overheard conversations among the characters. We'll get to that in a minute, but uh, I, I feel like we're saying the same thing week after week that, man, this episode was even better than last week. Except this one, I think <laughs> there's no doubt about it. It's very pivotal and we're getting close to the end. And yeah, like you said, I think secret motion of things also might refer to just so many secrets of what's going on behind the scenes uh, to have created the whole clone situation to begin with is being is being revealed. Right. And the people that are keeping the most secrets seem to be paying the highest price in some cases. But yeah, uh, that's right. Now, uh, the viewership went up again, up five and a half percent, 540,000 viewers. So, yeah, again, I, I'm not worried, but no. I, I'm a numbers guy. So I like to throw them out there. But we did get <laughs> a new uh, character this week. Yeah, and I'm wondering if she's going to become more regular since there's a opening <laughs> in the cast, so to speak. Uh, Michelle Forbes, who Dave, you and I uh, enjoyed very much in both Battlestar Galactica and The Killing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know the the funny thing in The Killing, uh, the character she played, you know, the mother whose daughter had disappeared. She was just so haggard looking all the time, and then we see her tonight, very well put together. Exactly as <laughs> Doctor Marion Bowles. All right, uh, just a, a real quick spoiler alert. So if you don't like any kind of spoilers, just tune Skip out ahead. Tune out for about 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so it does ap appear as if she's going to show up again in episodes 209 and 210. So we are going to see more of Dr. Marion Bowles. And that is a good thing. Yes. Um, all right, so we got an episode where everybody's eyes are open. You know, I mentioned about the, the reveal through overheard conversations. Allison overhears Vic talking to Angie, uh, Kasima overhears Scott and Delphine talking about Kira's stem cells, Kira overhears Cal and Sarah talking about what Kasima needs from Kira, and it throws, again, a lot of things in motion. I think we've had that in the past, too. Season one had a couple of very fortuitous overheard conversations. I think the biggest one in this episode was, geez, Allison just timed it perfectly to overhear Vic, but uh, that's something that I think when you have 10 episodes, it helps move things forward because those are the kinds of secrets that could be drawn out for a lot longer in series that have long, uh, more episodes per season. Let's take a look at uh, the story that revolves around Sarah and what I'll call the dyad mess because really uh, it is a mess in, in mm -hmm. tonight's episode. And, you know, we see Kira up, uh, Kira. We see Sarah 
and Mrs. S at Ethan Duncan's house. And oh my God, it, it, it looks like something off of that show, uh, Hoarders. It and, does. Oh my God. And you can see the stench must be overpowering because both of them are holding up claws to their mouth. And Sarah goes under the sink looking for, oh, and she finds a dead mouse. Ugh, disgusting. Well, and there's a lot of things that are trying to lead us to believe that Ethan Duncan has lost a few screws. And maybe it's through the trauma of what he's gone through. But it's funny how they sort of turn the tables on us every now and then and give him a, a moment of lucidity. Yeah, like, again, when he finally finds the red box and, and they're prepared to leave, and, and even, <laughs> even S thinks he's still, you know, after trinkets. And, and no, he's got the three, what are those, five-and-a-half-inch floppies? Dave, five-and-a-quarter-inch. Five I'm, I'm showing sorry. my nerddom now. Okay, all right. Well, I was close, but uh, regardless... But anyway, so, you know, we see Kira and Cal still. And, and one of the things that comes up with Cal is I'm wondering what it is he knows. Now, you know, I got the initially wrong to a certain extent what Cal was looking for on the internet there. But uh, you, you got, <laughs> what was he doing exactly? So it looked like what he was doing is instead of your just conventional Google search, <laughs> he was using like a proxy server to hide his search strings, which included Dyad Institute and genetic breakthroughs. And I think he's probably doing this mostly because Sarah isn't telling him stuff. And why, by the way, why isn't she? But anyway, he's doing this uh, pretty sophisticated search that's hidden from the outside world. But clearly, someone has noticed what he's doing. And I'll tell you, that little green webcam light that pops on is something that you really can't hide too well. So I, I don't know exactly who would be on the other end of that but gosh they really can't get away with that sort of thing when you got the the telltale light there yeah well what prompted him to search for genetic breakthroughs uh good question you know, uh, <laughs> perhaps the aunties <laughs> yeah and and again now you ask you know why is she hiding it from him and and uh, and that's really i think a complex question because uh, does she love Cal? I mean, I think it's possible. You know, why did she leave him to begin with? Well, you know, Sarah was Sarah. I mean, certainly she's come a long way from when we first met her way back in season one. But, uh, you know, perhaps it was just like, uh, you know, she, she didn't know what to do in that situation, found herself pregnant with a guy that she barely knew. Now, is she trying to protect Cal? Because she knows what kind of mess she's involved in. That definitely could be true. It's just that when you have like an entire season without Art knowing, and now he knows, and it's only for the better, it just bothers me when I think Cal could help them. And the fact that he doesn't know prevents him from doing that. Yeah. And she, you know, not to mention, and I guess it's neither here nor there where she, whether she loves him or not, but she certainly can see the relationship that's developing between Kara and Cal. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. And, and just that, that scene there at the end. Uh, do you remember that number? I, you know, which I assume, you know, had her memorize his phone number, and and uh, you know, she hugs him, and, and you know, just really a sweet ending there. Not to mention, just really smart of Cal. He he is making all the right moves uh, for safety and just parental good moves. Right, and, and I think we know he doesn't buy Sarah's explanation of the pictures of the aunties, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, the genetic breakthrough search alone, I think he's probably. A good 90% of the way there, probably. All right. Now, you mentioned Ethan Duncan. Uh, you know, we don't know. Look, has he always been a mad scientist? I mean, it's hard to believe that he was this wacky. 
Uh, I think it was caused by the trauma and and age as well, of course. Yeah. But I think it's definitely a traumatic uh, break that he's had. Right. But certainly he pulls those discs out and, and there is, like you mentioned, a moment of lucidity. We see Paul again and, and, you know, Paul's one of those characters. He, you know, he just shows up here and there and, on the one hand, I would really like to see more of Paul, but on the other hand, the, you know, the, the amount that we do have him, it, it's, it is perfect. Yeah, it's just the right amount, I think. <laughs> yeah. So Leaky's concern that Sarah's still a threat makes a call to Dr. Marion Bowles, and that's the first time that I think we've heard that name, right? Right, and the fact that he's calling her specifically because of what's going on this time, it make, makes me wonder, has he done this before? And we just haven't seen it like off camera, but it seems like a rarity, whether or not she's intimately involved with this project or whether she's just in charge of other projects. I feel like she's almost just like Dr. Leakey, uh, at least from the Neolution perspective. Yeah, see, I guess I got the impression that she was his superior. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I definitely agree okay. there, but it's just, I'm wondering why, why now? What makes her, what makes her get involved? Right. Well, she does mention that that it just seems like you know whenever our paths cross these days, Sarah Manning's at the center of it, and you need to do something about that. Well, that's true, and that implies that there were other encounters. So she is letting him take care of things himself, or like when does she get involved? Is the question because clearly she is, has a certain amount of just being fed up if if the steps that she ends up taking uh, are to be believed as. Kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back for her. Yeah. Now that didn't surprise me at all, though. What did surprise me is when she brings up Rachel and whether or not Rachel's going to be a problem, because, you know, again, we're, we're starting to see things placed into motion and obviously we know what she's afraid of Rachel finding out. And that is of course that, that uh, her father's alive and that Leaky's responsible for her mother's death. That's right. And, I think she has to take steps. Maybe the steps that she take are to contain Rachel. Like she talks about Rachel being a problem and perhaps she could have taken care of Rachel, but taking care of Leaky would perhaps also bring Rachel back in line. And I think maybe that's where her decision came into play. Yeah. Now, you know, one of the next scenes, and again, I, I really liked it. Uh, S shows up at Leaky's office and, you know, I, I just really like Maria Doyle Kennedy. And, and, you know, I liked her back when she was in the uh, Henry VIII show, The Tudors. And even now, you know, she's coming in, she's got the gene. She's, we know she's badass. And, she and the t- fact that Leaky recognizes her is just so cool. And yeah. she knows he was going to know her. Right. And he kind of acknowledges that he's surprised that she had the guts to show up to his office, which, That's right. which even adds to it. And she basically, look, I've got something you want. And he says, well, you know, I always like visitors like that that have something I want. But, uh, and she's basically saying, look, I'll give you the discs. Yeah. If, I, if you leave care alone. Now, I'm not sure what would make her think he would keep his word. Yeah, that's true. But, well, I mean, think about it. If they do get the solution to their problem, then maybe they would allow them a little bit more, at least a little bit longer of a rope or longer leash well that's true because i guess to a large extent the reason they do need care is because of the missing science exactly so they're trying to figure out what's going wrong and perhaps move forward with some more i don't know but the fact that s confirms that rachel does not know or that ethan duncan is still alive that is or that leaky killed his mother her mother then that's something that he's able to work with right and 
you know, that kind of leads us into the scene where Paul brings Rachel to Ethan Duncan's and has that, you know, very uncomfortable, sort of awkward, and, and I guess you understand it, and, and we do finally get to see a little bit of emotion out of Rachel. Well, she's like a contained uh, a bomb of emotion. I mean, she does not let any of it out, so you can see that she's just ready to blow. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so everything has to be very contained and very cold. Yeah. And uh, then the interesting thing then is that final meeting uh, in Leaky. Oh, no, I guess that was in Rachel's office. Or was it in Leaky's office? But anyway, regardless where uh, <laughs> Rachel is basically reading him the riot act. And I think he thinks he's going to get by. And then, you know, she puts uh Marion Bowles on speakerphone and, Oh, it's so great. Yeah. And then just tells him, you know, uh, nurture wins out. I'm going to let you go. It's probably a mistake, but, uh, don't get in your car. Don't pick up your brief. Just get out. Yeah. And I have to wonder is, is, uh, cause you know, why would Marion Bowles not say, Hey, why am I on speaker? <laughs> Yeah. First of all, but yeah, does she is she sincere about that? Um, because I think there is a lot of evidence to say that she did want Leaky to stick around, um, but I guess that's not what Marion Bowles wants, and of course, neither of them have a say in what actually ends up happening. Well, I mean, I, I think one of the big issues though comes down to uh, who takes Leaky's place. I mean, clearly. He was a brilliant scientist, for you know, regardless of his you know, nefarious activities behind the scenes. So, uh-huh. who who takes his place? I mean, you know, certainly not Delphine. Uh, do they have somebody else they're going to bring in? Well, that's why I thought that Marion Bowles, or at least the actress, uh, fits in nicely as a filling in a vacancy. But who knows? Because it might not actually play that. You've had some predictions going along here that perhaps Rachel might go to the other side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then there's the conflict that that Rachel's is has thrown right at her. That you know the man that raised me. The you know now whether she loved Leaky, you know we don't know, but uh, clearly she loved her parents while they were alive. But but yeah, I think there was some tenderness. I mean, he lets her kiss her on the head right there at the end as he she lets him do that. That's yeah. what, uh, what. Yeah, right. That's what I meant. And I was even surprised that she let him. I thought she was going to like hold up her hands like, no. Well, I think that actually is very telling. You know, we talk about how the home video showed Rachel as having a very warm childhood. And I think the cold fish version of Rachel that we see is because she was raised by a very clinical parent. Yeah. And so this kissing on the forehead is kind of about as much affection as he's ever spared her, probably. Yeah. Now, kind of the, the last scene of this storyline Sarah and Cal are kind of arguing over the fact that Sarah wants to bring Kira in because Kasima has let her know basically, you know, why they need Kira. And, you know, you're watching her with that string and you're wondering what she's doing. Yeah. And she pulls her own tooth out. Yep. It was loose anyway. It was loose anyway. (laughs) But, but God, I mean, just, you know, just when we think that kid can't do anything more amazing, she does something else more amazing but and uh, how did she even clue in on that either because it's the stem cells that come from the baby teeth and i mean she just seems to be able to perceive things that a kid her age should not be able to right i mean i guess cal was probably grilling sarah about you know how they got her stem cells to begin with and care uh sarah probably you know told him about the tooth from the accident and kira overheard it and oh true the the 
tooth from the accident was the key because I had wondered where they got Kira's stem cells. We were talking about that last week. And it's a nice little, uh, neat little package that they put together here that they were able to procure it from the hospital after Kira's car accident with Helena and all yeah. that. So Right. Now, the other big story is the one with Cosima and Delphine and, and the whole process of trying to treat Cosima. And, and, you know, again, so much of their story is a love story, two young people pulled in opposite directions, you know, trust issues. And, you know, the biggest problem Cosima has is that don't make decisions for me. But I liked Delphine's response. It's like, you know, you don't have any decision. This is it. This is the only decision you have if you're going to live. Yeah, there's no two ways about it. And it's an ethical concern for her. And I think what's going to happen now, though, is because everyone's on board, uh, including Sarah and Kira herself, then perhaps we'll be able to get a little bit more treatment going. But I have, have to wonder why they keep showing us these scenes where they're doing clinical procedures, and yet Delphine and Cosima are being affectionate and intimate. I mean, yeah. don't you feel like that sort of puts the affection in a kind of awkward setting i do and i mean i guess i try to justify it in that uh it is an uncomfortable procedure we assume now she's had a a spinal uh i don't know what they call it a spinal tap yeah perhaps <laughs> um you know whatever she's numb apparently because the uh, otherwise the procedure she's going through would be i guess painful uh but yeah it, it just seems a little bit off-putting i think in, in that kind of a situation so uh, oh that must have been an epidural i would, I would okay guess. right because yeah, that that did not look very comfortable, right? <laughs> going in there to go after the cysts, right now directly. Yeah. Now, in terms of overhearing again, you know, Cosima overhears Scott, who wants to tell Cosima what's going on, and Delphine's no, absolutely not, and you know, boy, then all hell breaks loose, and you know, pretty emotional scene where she's just you know really just oh, just so angry at at Delphine and tells her to get out. Well, here's the thing. Delphine is correct in saying that this is Cosima's only choice, but she has to let Cosima go into it with open eyes. And that's the problem. And I, and I think we were due for a little bit of conflict between Cosima and Delphine, who up until Cal showed up were really the only stable relationship in the whole show. And I think it was time for a shakeup because Delphine had been so deceptive and, and secretive behind the scenes, even as she was having her most intimate moments with Cosima. Right. And I think it'll certainly be interesting to watch what happens now that Leaky's out of the picture. I certainly don't think they're going to put Delphine in charge, but it'll certainly change the dynamic between the two and, and what's made available to them. I mean, look, uh, who's got the discs at this point? Obviously, Ethan Duncan still has them, right? Oh, good point. And, and, she, and Mrs. And she, S. Mrs. S doesn't have a Leaky to deliver them to anymore. Right. So- I think perhaps Cosima will try to take charge at least, uh, maybe become in charge of her own destiny in a sense. Yeah, well, I, you know, to be honest, I think the, the biggest challenge that they all face is finding a disk drive that'll play those discs. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we'll see where that heads. But, you know, I, I'm, I really like what they did with that storyline uh, tonight. And, uh, and then finally, you know, it's... Look, we've talked about it. I mean, it is a dark show, but they've managed to keep a light side to it, usually through Felix, generally through Vic, 
and very often through Vic and Felix together. And, and we got a lot of that. And if you just want to make it even better, throw Allison Hendricks into the mix and boy. <laughs> well, that's what's so funny. It's like when you had the character at the end of season one, or was it the end of season one or beginning of season two when Allison agrees to stay out of it, basically. Right. And so you've got to give her a conflict to deal with. And this just deals with in spades, but then also to allow a comic relief plot line to have the Donnie shocker at the end yeah. is just brilliant writing. Yeah. And, and I mean, to have the implications that all of it has, I mean, the whole thing with, with Angie and Vic and, you know, the whole Keystone cops kind of thing uh, going on. Cause that's kind of a big deal. I mean, I don't know what they would get her on involuntary manslaughter, uh, negligent homicide. I mean, who knows what the charge would actually be, but I'm pretty sure there'd be a charge. That's true. Now how they would prove it. I'm not sure. You know, you're going on the word of Vic. I mean, I'm, um, you know, if it went to court, I'm sure Allison would just deny ever saying it. That's right. And the, uh, the other question I have is, uh, criminally anyway, is what's going to happen to Vic now? Because, to all appearances, I would think he has had a relapse or had a bender and his rehab is, is ruined and maybe his conviction will go through. So I don't know if Angie, Angie is going to have a, a bargaining chip to hold over him anymore and whether we'll see Vic from now on and she's going to have to come up with a new strategy or something. Well, we certainly get to see Vic in a new light, you know, the polo <laughs> shirt, uh, you know, cl all cleaned up and, uh, you know, he's still looking good. He's still got his bandage on his finger. I guess I'm a little surprised by that, but it was a nice touch. She made Allison and, and here bonding. She made him some gloves with the missing pinky. Um, <laughs> you know, that was pretty cool. Um, but we've got family day coming up and you know, we've talked in the past about Donnie's attitude towards her and, and, and how he thinks that can possibly be helpful. And it kind of continues, but, but you know, I think it was you mentioned to me earlier when we were talking at work about the name tags, and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, she oh went to you know great extent decorating her children's name tags, and then Donnie's oh, just plain, just a little blue square. In fact, he's having trouble even getting it while she's talking to their kids. So, yeah, and Donnie's talking to the kids like, uh, you know, we're going to be nice to mommy now. It's like, oh, come on, <laughs> why would the kids even question? being nice to their mom. Right. Well, you know, whenever there's a, and again, we've talked about the, the, the growing relationship between Allison and Felix and she's in a bind. So who does she call Felix? He comes out. Uh, I'm not sure why he thought it necessary to drug. Vic. Yeah. That was a bit of a strange move on Felix's part, but man, when he fell into that table and then I read an interview after the episode from, uh, by John Fawcett. And he said that one of the stuntmen actually broke his nose during that scene. I am not surprised in the least. <laughs> oh man. And he talks about, they didn't want a, a breakaway table or glass or anything. They wanted it to be solid and man, they got it. And so they had a nice pratfall moment and Felix is talking about how he looks like he was molested by elves <laughs> yeah, that with was all that glitter everywhere. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. And then, we again, we've seen this. You know, they don't do it often, but when they do it, it's just incredible. And that is when Sarah or any of the clones is pretending to be one of the other clones. And tonight we had Sarah trying to be Allison. And I, I guess I was surprised nobody noticed the, the wardrobe, <laughs> but, uh, you know, certainly not something that Allison would ordinarily wear and she gets up there giving the Well, she had the red coat. <laughs> she did have the red coat, but giving the little keynote uh, or little opening 
addressed to all the families at family day and uh we stand up here pill poppers hopheads <laughs> yeah move along <laughs> yeah moving along and uh you know and, and again it just goes from bad to worse in that situation but uh angie's running around she finally does track vic down but he's virtually unconscious behind the desk right so she wasn't able to get any information out of him uh, and Felix, I guess, did that specifically to prevent him from talking to Angie. But the big bargaining chip that Vic is trying to deal with is, I want to talk to Sarah. Yeah. And it's like, what does he expect to get out of that? Oh, you want me to apologize, she says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's trying to do it, do his atonement, but the atonement is not coming from him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the big reveal we have in the whole family day scene is when Donnie comes into her room and there is confronted with Sarah and Allison. And, you know, like Felix says, you know, you can't fake that kind of, uh, I forget exactly the words that he uses. Clearly he doesn't know the truth. Right. He was a handler. I mean, even Paul, they should remember that Paul didn't know about the clones either. Yeah. So why would Donnie know that they've talked about the double blind quite a bit during season one. So it should come as no surprise that Donnie only was reporting the facts about his one subject and had no idea there were others. Yeah. And, you know, I think the question that comes up has to do with, you know, the couple, Allison and Donnie and, and are they in love with each other? Were they ever in look, clearly she was in love with him. Right. And they were a couple established since high school. And I always wondered about that. How did he get into being a handler? Did he was a handler from the very start? And I, I like how they give us a little bit of backstory about that, how he was recruited in college for a long-term sociology project. And that fits the facts. Right. And, and I think we have to ask, well, did he actually love her? And, and I think the answer is yes. And certainly we yeah. see his reaction to finding out how much he'd been lied to by leaky and, and, you know, and it leads up to the, the culminating scene of the episode, but, but yes, he, so that I think we can safely say he really does love Allison. Now, whether or not they can repair their relationship, that's another story. But he finally sees the light that Allison is trying to say that he ruined their family's lives by being so deceptive. I don't know how he could have thought that this was just a harmless reporting of facts. And, and also, it's the same bed. How the heck did he not notice that there were medical tests going on? Uh, so Right. But he obviously realizes that Allison is right and that he's been blind this whole time and no more. He's had an awakening. Yeah. So where did he get the gun? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, because Allison had guns around the house. Maybe he just got one of hers. Yeah, I guess. But uh, so he tracks Leaky down. Uh, you know, it was kind of ironic. Leaky was unable to flag down the cab that went by and Donnie pulls up, tells him to get in the car. And Leaky is really dismissive there at first and, and kind of almost laughs him off until he pulls the gun up and yeah. Leaky gets in the car. And then of course the, you know, the, the final scene, which was, uh, I mean, it wasn't gruesome, like the most recent episode of game of Thrones, which I know you have not seen. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, truthfully, it wasn't even close, but it was still gruesome <laughs> enough, still shocking enough. I think. Oh, the, talk about shocking! I would. I just about jumped out of my chair when that yeah. happened. I was so um, just completely taken off guard. Right, but then after you're, 
you recover your senses and then you start uh, thinking about the things we've been talking about tonight is, okay, what does that mean for the future of dyad and in particular this experiment? So, you know, we've got a lot to look forward to. And then, you know, next three episodes, eight, nine, and 10. That's right. And also, I have to wonder what's going to happen to Donnie. Who's going to help him clean this up? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you look at what's going to happen to Donnie. What's going to happen to Paul? Yeah. Lots of people are going to be affected by this. Right. I mean, we didn't see art, but we know art's on board. You know, we didn't see the Neolutionists, uh, I mean, the uh, Proletheans tonight. Yep. So there's going to have a ripple effect, I think. Right. Because uh, still, uh, we've got Elena in custody, right? With the Proletheans. Yep. And it's isn't it just masterful how they skip around to the different clones and you kind of forget that there are certain ones left out each week and then they get back to it and you feel like it, they never left off. So, yeah. But three episodes is not a whole lot of time to wrap up all these loose ends. And of course, I'm sure they'll leave some of them hanging for season three, but yep. wow. Yeah. Well, listen, we want to thank you for joining us. Mike and I will be back next week to discuss episode eight titled Variable and Full of Perturbation. I'm glad you always have to say the title names. And if you'd like to send us feedback, you can send us a SpeakPipe message on either the Fatalists or the Liberate websites. Send an email to feedback at continuumpodcast.com or fatalistspodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave a voicemail at 773-LIBERATE-8. And we'll see you next week, guys. Alone in my mind, I'm shouting to lose control.